Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is Drive-by Cinema, Season 3, Episode 19. With me is my salty sea dog, Paul. Joining you with a flurry of jazz hands. And uh, I'm with my co-host, Richard. We got any business to conduct from previous episodes? Um, no, not really. I don't, well, I don't think so. Stop me if we've done this and spoken about it already, but in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. So is that a Morrissey song? In Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Everything, everything, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Cast your mind back. That multiverse of, multiverse travel of a movie, yeah, 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 yeah. You had this objection to... I did. Evelyn, like, switching into different... Consciousnesses across multiverses, yeah. I think your objection was based around the fact that you you wouldn't be the same person because no. you were made of different things. You wouldn't. Effect. But Paul, are you the same Paul as you were ten years ago? Are you not made of different atoms than the Paul that was ten years ago? I am. How about ten minutes ago, or even ten seconds ago? Correct. I mean, this is like Theseus's ship, isn't it? Or the more modern equivalent, which is Trigger's broom. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've no idea. What, no idea what you're talking about, Richard. Trigger's broom. You've never heard of Trigger's broom. Mm-hmm. You know Theseus's ship, though, right? The philosophical conundrum about Theseus's ship. Enlighten me, Richard. Well, you've got Theseus's ship, and over time, it gets repaired, so yes. they replace the plank. It's still Theseus's ship, yes. Eventually, they've replaced every part of the ship. Yeah, but we still call it Theseus's ship. True. Similarly, in Only Fools and Horses, the the character Trigger d- discusses his broom that he's had for many, many years. Yeah. And when they quiz him on the matter, he, he reveals that he's changed the head of the broom five times and the handle of the broom, you know, a dozen times. But he still calls it Trigger's broom, despite the fact every part of it has been replaced. And he yeah. still thinks of it as, you know, 20 years old or something. If we're not the same thing as we were... 10 years ago or 10 months ago or 10 seconds ago. You yeah. Know? And yet we still have an idea of a thread of consciousness, Paul, running through from one version of Paul to another. Yeah, a soul is what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not espousing a soul, no. Well, you are. I'm, I mean, there's no other way to d- describe it. What you're saying is things that are not the same thing have a shared consciousness across universe, across multiverses. Okay, well... That's exactly what you're espousing. Ship, no, no one claims that Theseus' ship has a soul. Yeah, well, no one's claimed it's time travelled or jump dimensions, though, has it? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I, although, I, you know, I, I fully accept that Theseus' ship is still Theseus' ship. I, I don't quite see the opposite relevance of, of, of that in relation to two separate multiverses. Okay. Well, Paul, I, I value your philosophical insight on matters. So I'm going to pose another problem to you now. Although in the objection, I think is a legitimate objection. I just don't agree with the objection is what I'm saying. I mean, I don't see why it necessarily has to follow that because we can evidence continuity of uh, association in one realm. Therefore, disparate realms should have this kind of string theory continuity that connects them all, even though what makes them up is, is, is not I mean, we're not changing the same parts of, of Evelyn in different multiverses at the same time, are we? Do you see what I'm saying? At the same like, time. If Theseus had two ships, right, and he decided mm-hmm. to change the pieces of wood and planks in the same part of the ship with different materials at the same time, but, you know, maybe, you know, with stone cladding on one, it might sink as a ship, you know, with polystyrene on the other. Even after all those changes, they would still both be Theseus' ships, yeah. But that doesn't mean they'd be the same ship. They never were to begin with. They were two separate ships. Exactly. So my no, question why. is, why Why would she be able to, when she becomes the other person, why would she be able to remember who that person was when she comes back kind of thing? I mean, it's a valid objection. I don't think scientifically it holds much water, does it? Let's face it. Yeah, unless, of course, you posit something like uh, a soul or that very near thing, that very secular version, which is like uh, consciousness kind of thing. 
I'm anti-soul. I'm an asoulist. Well, but are you, are, you, are you for the mystery of consciousness? People call me an asoul. No, I'm not. I, I, I'm a materialist. I fundamentally don't think that... I, I, I suspect consciousness is an illusion. And yet we still experience it, don't we? It's not the fact we're conscious. It's the fact we're aware of our consciousness. Well, yeah, but that's the thing about illusions is you do experience them. It's not that you don't experience... The thing about well, an illusion We can only talk about not- illusions in terms of our conscious perception of illusions, which is... It becomes very circular philosophically, doesn't it? I mean... It's like those early philosophies that you had as a child, like, you know, how do I know that your red is my red? That's not a childish philosophy. That's, that's I know, but it's when you first have it, isn't it, as a child? It's quite deep. But, like, there's an element of experiential subjectivity that you just can't take away from this equation, is there? Which makes it unsatisfying. Sure, but don't bring qualia into the mix. I don't. I'm not anyway, so you were moving on to something more in- intriguing, which I've interrupted. I was hoping to, yeah, but well, since you're in such a philosophical mood, Will you Paul, just shut up, Paul. Is what he's trying to say. I Go thought on. you might be able to help with a sort of ethical. This is oh, philosophy. This is ethics in philosophy, I think. And this is to do don't with tell a me, social. Don't ask situation. me what's the difference between morality and ethics because I don't fucking know. Nothing that complicated, Paul. It's just a modern etiquette thing, a question on how you might behave, how one should behave. So I want to paint this scenario for you. Quite a, quite a common scenario. I think many people would find themselves in this situation. Yeah. You're at a dinner party. Yeah, oh, often, yeah, yeah. I often find myself, you know, with a tinkle of, tinkle of wine glasses, you know, the merry chatter of, 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 uh, about, about Bertrand Russell, the... That's right. Yeah, exactly. Cigars once the ladies have exited. Uh, no, no, after the after the meal, yeah. you, as a show of gratitude, you, you know offer to to clear the table, and so you collect. Apparently, all of that's, the, that's bad form. You shouldn't do that. Apparently, that's an interesting insight in itself. But in this case, you've agreed to do that. So you, it's like sorry you, to interrupt. You know when people give you things and then expect something in return. Never expect something back from a gift. A gift, by definition, is a gift. Oh, I. I I don't, Paul. I definitely don't. I never got anything from you uh, after I gave you that secret Santa, did I? After... <laughs> but I didn't. Unless, of course, it. the gift is explicitly, uh, you know, not a bribe. Mean spirited. But... Yeah. No. Yeah, Unless oh, the right. gift is, has been, you know, expressed as, you know, I'm doing this because I expect you to do that. Transactional. Yeah. Transactional. So yeah. you gather up all of the dirty uh, crockery yes. and cutlery. You carry it through into the kitchen, and in the kitchen, you look around. Under all the countertops. Enviously at the Arga. For the dishwasher. But there is no dishwasher. Someone sniffle at the, uh, the uh, colour print uh, uh, yearly calendar on the wall. So you're stuck here with all these place settings, all dirty, no dishwasher. But your home is only ten minutes away by car. Am I wearing slippers in their house? or Have I, have I brought my own house slippers? Or? I imagine you still got your shoes on. Be the, the simplest way. Because you know, I don't often go to do's where you, you wear tuxedos and, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas you do, Richard, don't you? So, <laughs> Come on. it seems simplest to pop the dirty crockery and cutlery in car. Into, into a plastic bowl, nip out of the back door, hop in your car, and take it to your home where your dishwasher is waiting. Yeah. You can just empty out whatever's in there already. And you can pop in all of the place settings and cutlery and pop it on. Maybe on a quick wash, I don't know. But it's still going to take an hour. Here's the thing, Paul. The dishwasher is going to take at least an hour. Maybe two if you put it on a full wash. Gantt chart, time dependency, time dependencies. Maybe do a quick flow chart, work out what you can do in that hour. So what is the etiquette here? Do you go back to the dinner party and make polite conversation for another 50 minutes before (laughs) surreptitiously slipping out and returning? Are you seriously suggesting going to your own home and doing the dishes in the dishwasher? What else would you do, Paul? What's the wash it up? It only takes ten minutes. What? What you mean? It's how? a fallacy that dishwashers are more efficient in terms of. Uh, no, it's not a it fallacy. Is. It's the truth. If you fill a dishwasher up, it's much more efficient. It uses far it's less. Forty-eight liters of hot water. I don't use forty-eight liters in my washing bowl. Washing up bowl. You'd be you'd be surprised. It's not just the one bowl. It's the rinsing as well, Paul. You've got to think about. If you rinse with hot water. And if you're in, like an cold. American, leaving the tap on constant dribble. Anyone, but you haven't explained what I should be doing. Look, I, be- I mean, I, I find the whole quandary, the whole situation a little bit perplexing. All right, so you're just going to forget about it. Toss it out. Never mind. I volunteered to wash up, is that right? Or take the dishes into the kitchen? 
both. Not clear, is it? You don't really do. You do, you don't engage in that negotiation over the dinner table. <sighs> and and obviously, what's the expectation? I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously, pots be- pots before pots before uh, pots before uh, plates before china before cutlery, and there's probably some you know crust invested big pans waiting to be washed up. So, I mean, at that point, you're in for a penny and for a pound, aren't you? I mean, I don't, I don't think know. you can be taking all the pans all the back to your house. That that's ridiculous. They probably won't go into the dishwasher anyway. Uh, well, I wouldn't take anything back to my house. It's just something I wouldn't do. Although it might be cost efficient and maybe time efficient. I don't know. Okay. Well, there you are. You heard it from Paul. I, you're asking be... me to be a rational economic agent, and I'm not. I don't see what the problem is. There's a perfectly good washing washing up bowl to carry everything in. It's not far away. Why not just pop back? Well, it might be fine bone china, in which case it shouldn't go in the dishwasher. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? It's 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 very disappointing, isn't it, when you buy either a piece of kitchenware or a piece of clothing that says expensive. you can't put it in the yeah. in the wash. It's also the expensive shit, isn't it? As is somehow it's inutil disutility. I don't know how to use that word. Uh, it's inutility renders it somehow more valuable. Yeah, hopeless. Yeah, yeah. Just making money for the classic the cars are a perfect example. Of this. Oh, I spent all afternoon tinkering with an old fashioned <laughs> engine. Yeah, but why? why what would you Richard, do, Richard? Would you actually take the plates back to your house and put them in the dishwasher? I'm just saying it would occur to me to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise, you'd have to stand there, wouldn't you? Washing, washing the dishes whilst everyone else is making polite conversation. I quite enjoy washing up. It might it might take you out of an awkward social situation, I suppose. It's better to have something to do. I, do with you know, party, I, I never feel that. I'm just really happy to stand around and do nothing in awkward social situations. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to the extent people think I'm, I feel awkward or I'm being awkward, but I don't actually realise that myself. <laughs> Richard, before we move on, have you been to any events in a tuxedo recently? Uh, actually, I have. I've been yeah, to tell me more. my office Christmas party in a tuxedo. Well, the Dress code was black tie. I didn't have a tuxedo. I wore a dark suit and a bow tie. Did you? Yeah. A bow tie, oh. eh? Uh, and it was on a boat on the Thames. Lucky you. In the middle of London? No. It was near. It was up the Thames toward Windsor, that kind of area, I think. Do you mean where it's called the Churwell? I don't know. It was pitch black outside. I mean, it could have been anywhere. I mean, for all we know, it may may have just stayed, you know. Was this before our terrible cold snap? Just on the on the verge of it, yes. We have had a cold snap. It's so cold I've had to buy myself a little USB or cigarette lighter plug-in heater for my car because I, I broke the ratchet on my heater dial and can't be bothered to pay £200 to get it fixed. Why was there ratchet on your heater dial? The ratchet. Oh, it's, it's not very uh, healthy for somebody who delivers food for a living, is it? I don't deliver food for a living. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, it's time for some music. <laughs> cool. you live by the sea. Like the people in this film. I don't live by the sea. You do? You live in Blackpool? I think, yeah, well, I don't live in Blackpool. I, I live at least 800 yards from the sea, Richard. That's basically on the seafront. Not quite as on the seafront. I only deliver food occasionally, which I'm going to start doing uh, in a week's time, when my main source of income temporarily ends for two weeks. Oh, we touched the nerve there, didn't we? What do you mean? Now, Paul... What's this film called? I'm just, I'm just asking you to be accurate in your descriptions, Rich. That's all. Come on, don't be nautical. Uh, what's this film called, Paul? This film is called Block Island Sands. Sound. Block oh, oh, Block Island. Island Sound. Yes, yes, Block Island Sound. I'm sorry. Why is it called Block Island Sound? That's a very good question. The answer to which I, 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 I cannot provide. It's a place name. The. Block Island Sound is a bit of, you know, sea off the coast of, just south of Boston, on the east coast of the US. So a sound is what? Is it near to a sand spur, or is there a reason it's called a sound? A sound, I think it's just like a deep bit, isn't it? Oh, it's a deep deep bit. 
deep close to the shore, I think, is what a sound is. I'm not sure. Indeed. So you were saying I live near to the sea, or I live by the sea. Not technically true. Not, I don't think you live near a sound, though, do you? It's very no. shallow, the beaches around those parts. It is exceptionally shallow, yeah. The beach itself is sometimes six miles deep. <laughs> yeah, nice. So you don't have a little boat moored up next to your home? Like well, that was my plan. Oh. But no, I don't. Well, now, having seen this film, I'm sure you'll have changed your mind. Oh, the terrifying depth of the sea, yes. Because this opens with a guy, like a salty old sea dog kind of guy, on a, on a boat pitching on a choppy sea. Yes. And he's, like, face down in the back of his little fishing boat. Yeah, just chilling out. And there are fish, sort of dead fish corpses all around. Or maybe maybe they're flopping around, I don't remember. And he kind of wakes up, gets up. He, he goes over to where there's a line hanging over the edge of a boat, and he pulls it up. And it turns out there's like a dog collar, or is it a cat collar? I'm not sure. On the end of that line. Mm-hmm. And that's it, isn't it? That's the opening of this, of this film. And we also hear a strange noise. I think it may be coming over the radio, but, but not sure. I thought, initially I thought, that when they said the Block Island sound, they were talking about this sound that you keep hearing. Maybe there's a double meaning. I don't know. But it really is a place, the Block Island sound, so... Yeah, I, I just thought of Brandon Block, the old crap DJ. Like Block Island Party or Brandon Block Island Party. Uh, that was my first sort of uh, blush blashed association. Okay. Now, we then see some younger men in like a diner or a bar or something talking about various subjects, all of which is actually setting us up for the rest of the film, isn't it? They're discussing... Random topics, but it's completely apposite to the plot of the the whole movie. Yeah, I got distracted because they're all drink driving all the time. Well, that that happens in the states, doesn't it? Does Although, it? well, I mean, you can get a DUI, but I think it's a fairly kind of casual kind of attitude to it all, isn't it? Especially in these kind of more rural parts. Mm-hmm. But they talk about the kind of parasite that. Mice carry toxoplasmosis, yeah, that makes them not afraid of cats so that they get eaten by the cat, and then the parasite it's part of its life cycle, I guess, to end up in cat shit. Did you have time to look this up, Richard, or not? Well, I've heard this before, yeah, so but is I it true? It. Mm, I, I think, well, I've, I've seen studies that suggest that it is true. And I've seen studies that also suggest that people who have toxoplasmosis exposure do show higher risk-taking tendencies than people who don't. So it is weird in the sense that this parasite can control, you know, human behaviour in that way. Yeah, I've been recently looking uh, on TikTok. I've been uh, I went down the TikTok hole for colonic irrigation. And it's really amazing because, you know, they set it up so that uh, they're just a random patient saying, you know, like they haven't asked them, you know, to to let them be, let their let their contents be filmed. But, you know, it's set up so it comes through these clear tubes. You see everything coming through. And you do get quite a lot of fairly huge tapeworms coming out. So. Oh, my God. Trigger warning. <laughs> too too no. late. <laughs> but... But but in one of them she was talking about she said you know that when she did a colonic irrigation then uh, then tapeworms came out of somebody's nose as well. When she did a possible. colonic irrigation, yeah, I don't know how that would happen. I don't think that is possible. So I think that's made up that bit. Okay, potentially the whole thing is. But <laughs> yeah, they might be just be like throwing spaghetti off 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 camera down down a <laughs> down a tube. <laughs> they get a lot of views though. <laughs> oh my god well toxoplasmosis I think are too small to see aren't they They're kind of, and they go in your brain sure, yeah, yeah. so none of this would be, be applicable in that instance they also talk didn't about didn't Trump uh, recommend like a drug to, to inject in your brain like a chlorine based drug ivermectin is yeah. the one he's been recommending I think for COVID. to get rid of everything it's just I think it's essentially an embalming fluid isn't it or something like that Oh, he talked about bleach as well. Using bleach, bleach. Yeah. can't we use that? Yeah. Bleach in your blood. Get our people to look into it or something. <laughs> would it kill? Yeah, we'll kill. It would also kill you. You know, it's like 
Kilokio, Kilokio. Now they also discuss, I think, what is more of a legend of parasites at sea, or creatures at sea, mm-hmm. mind controlling people to jump overboard so they could be eaten. I, I don't think yeah. there's much evidence for that, really. That's more of a kind of Cthulhu, like cosmic horror, you know, terrors from the deep kind of thing, isn't it? Is it the Aeneid or Odysseus uh, that really goes into sirens and, you know? Oh yeah, I mean the he lure, has to... the lure of uh, all kinds of mermaidian temptra- temptations and horrors out at sea. They have to lash themselves to the mast, don't they? And they stuff. do that sea, yeah. the island of the sirens. So these are guys who are kind of left behind in their hometown. They talk about all the college girls leaving, don't they? Mm-hmm. And they're there, sort of picking up the family businesses or whatever. This guy, the the guy we're going to follow around. Harry, I think his name is. Looks strangely a little bit like Prince Harry, doesn't he? He's going to be... That was something be... that crossed my mind more than, more than twice. <laughs> he's going to be... He's actually the son, as we learn, of the guy what was led on Of the guy the that deck. was on the boat, yeah. The, the, the hoary old sea dog, as it were. He's got a guy called Dale, who's big into his conspiracy theories. During this little yeah. meeting, he's... He's coming off with all of this other stuff, talking about chemtrails and mind control and lizard people. He's giving him a lift home, isn't he? And he's he's coming off with all of this stuff. Like, when it comes to conspiracy theories, sure, I mean, it's all nonsense, apart from, you know, lizard oh, yeah. people and Mark Zuckerberg. You know, I'm, I'm actually lizard quite people con- and Mark, and Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. I'm quite convinced about that one. What, you think Mark is a lizard person? Potentially, yeah. Okay. His strange mannerisms. Well, that's true, but I mean that could be explained by him being any other kind of weirdo species. <laughs> yeah. The thing about conspiracy theories is, uh, you can sort of do a plot of the size of a conspiracy theory versus its kind of half life. You know, eventually someone in the conspiracy circle is going to uh, expose it and say, "Look, I've had enough. It's this is ridiculous." So the bigger the conspiracy is. The sh- you know by inference the shorter it can last because there's obviously more people ready to reveal it at any stage. So obviously, so where do you draw the line at, at, at sincere speculation? JFK, would you would you accept that there's potentially evidence or lack of evidence to to, to say that Oswald definitely was the assassin or not? I, I don't think there's much evidence to say he wasn't the assassin. Uh, okay. Do you think? Do you disagree? I'm not sure about what physical evidence there was. Well, I mean, there was the rifle. Was there? Okay. The fact that, yeah. I mean, a lot of it comes from people's uh, scepticism that he could have shot the president from the window, from the grassy knoll window. Yeah. Not from the grassy knoll. Oh. That's a. That, that's all part of the conspiracy. Oh, that's part of Oliver Stone's ideas. All right. Okay. Sorry. He was in the book depository overlooking. That's right. Yeah. The square. What is it, Dealey Plaza? With a sighted rifle, is that right, yeah? You know, he just had elevation on the target, and, you know, it, he was a trained soldier, you know. Firing those things was his second nature to him. I just, so I, don't, I just don't think it was a particularly difficult shot. That's the, and, and that seems to be the jumping-off point for a lot of the conspiracy theories, is that could he really have done it? Yeah, he could have done it, because it, it wasn't that difficult. You know, the car was going relatively slowly. Uh, it was an open-top car, you know, it was like an easy target. <laughs> what, do you, what do you expect? Uh, you know, people don't like the discomfort, do they, that one man can, you know, pull off these these things, or a small group of people can pull off these uh, momentous sort of events. But it's it's not true. You know, there's plenty of... There's plenty of security holes that can easily be exploited by the people willing to do so. Anyway, so his mates on about conspiracy theories of perhaps the more grandiose and ridiculous, of more grandiose and ridiculous nature, including chemtrails, I think. I think they're driving home and, and uh, Harry just draws a line when he starts going on about chemtrails, I think. And then they hit a bird. While driving, it yeah, sort of slams into we see this in several movies: deers and cows. Was most recently, haven't we? Okay, turning up to a porn shoot. It seems to be a common trope, uh, like random, random roadkill. 
as a portent or signifier for what is to come. Harry finds his dad outside, confused and sweaty, and he thinks he's been sleepwalking. And this would be the problem, Paul, if you lived close to a boat that was moored. You could, you might accidentally sleepwalk onto your boat and, <laughs> and sail away into the Irish Sea. That would not, not be a good way to wake up. We, we learn that his sister is coming to visit. Yeah. And his sister apparently works for the EPA. That was weird, wasn't it? Well, she's bringing one of her colleagues Paul, to yeah. the island. Paul, he is called Paul, just like you. Yeah. And um, they're going to visit because there's a load of uh, fish washed up dead on the beach. How many? Ten tons of dead fish. Dun, dun, dun. Also, his, Harry's sister is also worried a little bit about Harry because apparently he's got a bit of a temper. And a drinking problem. And a drink-driving problem. And there he is, you know, stuck at home with the father who's ageing and she's not also I think she's probably worried about the father as well. Maybe well let's get this right they're on the New England coast right in a shiplap mansion that's probably worth three and a half million dollars these these days in a town which during the summer is invaded by extremely rich people so whatever business you want to open up there as a local whether it's frying clams or you know serving swanky cocktails, you can make an easy living. I, I don't know if he's got it that hard, really, has he? It's some of the most beautiful coastline in the world. Now, his sister's also brought her daughter, Emily, along for the ride, obviously, because she's making a family trip for it as well. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, Emily's sleeping on the sofa that night. Um, and during the night, the, the father is up sleepwalking, and Emily wakes up screaming. Uh, she's on the floor... And I think maybe he'd grabbed her wrist or her ankle or something. Wow. And in the morning, the dad is absent and the boat is gone. And Emily says that she sh- she saw him leave last night. So they jump in another boat and they chase after it and they find the boat deserted with uh, dead fish strewn all over the place and a strange noise on the radio again. And... <laughs> The dad is completely gone, isn't he? They can't find him at all. Yeah, it's obvious he's overboard. I mean, it seems like he's overboard. Yeah, that's certainly the conclusion that the cops come to is he was drinking and went out in the boat and has had an accident, and that's it. Anyway, they do a half-hearted search and say, "Look, if we come up with anything, we'll tell you." And uh, of course, the family a little bit, particularly the son Harry's, like, "Well, well, you know, you should be doing more," but they're not doing because that's just how it is. So Harry is convinced that. Some something weird is going on, and so uh, he apparently borrows some scuba gear and goes out with the boat to the same spot and jumps in. He shouldn't. I don't think you should dive solo. It seems like a terribly bad idea. But when he does, he gets onto the seabed, doesn't he? And he's suddenly enveloped in an inky cloud on the seabed. Yeah. And he wakes up at night now on the boat, and when he gets back home, he looks in the mirror. And in common with a lot of horror, it's another horror trope, isn't it? Looking in the bathroom mirror and seeing something horrific. He's got a horrifically red eye, hasn't he? And uh, and later on, he actually throws up live worms, speaking of parasites, directly into the the sink. But he might be dreaming that. I was never sure that that was not part of a dream. I think it was supposed to be semi-hallucinatory, wasn't it? You've got to look in the face, Paul, like, like a man who's... Faced horrors in the bathroom mirror at some stage. <laughs> I know I haven't, unfortunately. I, I think I'd like to be an interested person that did see horrors in the bathroom mirror, but no, not oh, really. Right, okay. I do have sometimes have vivid dreams. Well, it, when you're standing in front of the bathroom no, mirror? No, no. Oh. Like, I'll wake up. They're not nightmares. They're just very, very kind of visual, visually intense and very visceral experiences. Uh, of like you know, uh, I don't know how to express this. Of not highly, highly critical junctures in, in 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 whoever I am in the dream kind of thing, uh, and that's about it really. Because I now I've lost my visual imagination. So like if you ask me to think of an apple now, I can't really do it. You know, 
Uh, I can't really, really see You've lost it. your visual imagination. Yeah, I can't really see an apple crystal clear, photographically clear, like I used to be able to. It's normal, I think, for, for that to happen. However, in my dreams, particularly these kind of vivid, slightly disturbed dreams I have, then it's all, it's glorious technicolor, you know. So that's why I enjoy those moments. Yeah, so the last one I had was like, uh, like the, I was in a world that was full of towering kind of burning infernos. And everything was exploding, and uh, and uh, whoever was next to me, I think we were, we were just woken up or something to to this raging, not house fire, but world fire that was going on. We said, "We've got to get out of here now." And it was like, "Well, no shit, Sherlock." And I was like, "No, just don't bother doing that." And then we all perished and died because I refused to run. So I have stuff like that, but that's about it, really. A more credulous fellow might start talking about interpreting your dreams, Paul, but I don't. I don't think it really means anything, does it? No. Well, I don't know if it does or not. Well, eventually the police find the corpse of a man using a very interesting shot. I don't know whether you noticed this, but the way that we find the police are looking over the body is you see a picture from the top of the police car roof behind the lights, you know, along the top. It's a shot that they used in police squad or naked gun movies, you know? No. But to comic effect, you know, and presumably, presumably that comes from an, a you know an old like police procedural thing that they're. And what is the shot? Testing. It's a it's a shot where the camera is on the roof of a police cruiser, and right in front of the camera is the row of lights, and then you're seeing you know what the police <laughs> are driving toward. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. His body's battered and bruised, and they take it to. Uh, for autopsy, uh, okay, to see what's what's to do. And a few days later, the result is, well, we don't really know how he died, but all the lacerations on his face are probably because he was drag- being dragged across the bottom of the seabed against rocks with, but we you know, don't know. The, with the current and but waves. We, we can't be sure, says the, the coroner guy. This all drives Har- Harrington more drink, doesn't it, basically? And it also drives him to use a very strange search engine which has a weird con- conceptual search engine because he types in mass animal die-offs and he gets like highlights of a load of connected words, but none of the words he actually typed in, you know, like dead fish or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's <Wow>. really weird. <laughs> Did we used, what do we used to call those sort of uh, associations of words that were connected? Like Twitter. What, what, word association? No, like the words oh. that were trending on Twitter. The, word clouds. A word cloud, okay. I, I actually thought they were called wordles, but they can't be called wordles because wordles are called wordles. <laughs> are you sure it's word cloud? I am sure it's word cloud, Paul, because they were depicted as a cloud with oh, words of, of varying sizes were, yeah. depending and on them. We don't see those anymore, do we? N- well, you only see them in like corporate training. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, that's ridiculously pointless first slide to corporate training where they've obviously copied it rather than produce it themselves. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. So this allows Harry to build like a red string map. You know, he can now plot a series of mass animal die-offs on a world map and trace a line connecting wow. die-off after die-off, leading to their their area, Block Island Sound. His friend's like, you get it now? You get it now? Yeah? Yeah? You laughing at me and my conspiracy theories? But no, his friend doesn't say that, because I don't think he tells his friend about this, does he? That's when he throws up live worms, although maybe he wakes up, maybe it's a dream. But there is a stain on his pillowcase, which is, in some senses, more disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. When you wake up in the morning and there's something on your pillowcase and you don't know why, and you can't remember putting it there, that's that's disturbing. Again, you're, you're nodding your head like a guy who's happened to, but I don't imagine... Are you, are you out to get me tonight? What's going on here? <laughs> like, I don't know. You're painting a picture of me. Uh, that well, I don't I'm just so saying, that, like Harry, like Harry, you might be in a daze or a fugue state caused by maybe the inky thing during your scuba diving expedition. You're suggesting that when I wake up, I see a horror in the mirror. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. <laughs> uh, and uh, now what? That I that I night terrors visit me that I'm not aware of. Could be. Harry's feeling unwell, isn't he? We get the idea that he's not well. The, oh. um, 
And he seems to be fascinated by watching people eat and blow their noses. I wasn't sure why that was, but he's watching people intently at the wake. Oh, he's dad's wake, yeah. Now, all hell breaks loose here, because obviously it's a nice stack in New England on the coast that his dad has. And it's worth, you know, a good few million. And it's Harry's now. So I don't know if he's a relative or one of Harry's... Someone gets jealous, don't they? Start accusing him, like freeloading. Bump your dad off, I hope you're glad about that, and the money you're going to get, kind of thing. And of course, like anybody else, Harry goes spare and starts a a bar fight. Well, they also... They send him up. This is when they get back to their place where they're putting on food. For some reason, his sisters send him away to the supermarket to get a platter, yeah. which he asks for. And everything goes wrong here. Everything goes awry. Like, well, of course it does, because no one does that. Who goes and asks for a platter in a supermarket? Can Can you even do that? I don't know what kind of supermarket you frequent. So he goes to the deli counter and he starts slicing. You can do that at cheese. booths, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. oh, well, I mean, if you shop at Booth's, I suppose you can, yeah. yeah. You'd probably get a custom-made... I don't shop at Booth's anymore. Do you know why? Because like my Booth card, they're supposed to send you quarterly rewards. You get 5% on <laughs> every spend. On, and, and, and they didn't send it through last time. I rang through and they said, wait till the end of October, because if it's been, not been sent through, you have to wait until it's all over with. And then I rang up at the end of October and they said, oh, no, it's too late to complain. It's too late? That. So they really well, have of It's fraud of some kind, isn't it? <sighs> So I boycotted them for two months. I've just been back because, yeah, because I was between. You'd run out of pearl. No, no, I was I was working in the morning and I had like an hour and a half to kill, and I couldn't really do it. Like like the dishwasher conundrum you posed at the beginning of the podcast. I thought, what can I do in an hour and a half? And big Tesco's is like half an hour away, but Booth's was only like fifteen minutes away. So I thought, well, I'll go to Booth's, and and by that time, this quarter's gift card. From just before I started boycotting them would come through, it was worth five quid. So I got five quid off. And you get a free Sunday paper as well if you spend more than fifteen pounds. So So I kinda I kinda think I screwed them on the deal. But you know, booze on the oh there's all sorts on the data counter that they'll cook food for if you want to. Wow. Okay. Well, he goes crazy in the supermarket, doesn't he? He has a supermarket spree, puts everything in the trolley. Trolley gets knocked over or something in the in the car park. He drives away. That's when he has a fight at the wake with someone in the funeral I party. See. Okay. He gets put in jail. And when the cops let him out, one of the cops hands back his jacket and observes he's got a cigarette butt in his jacket pocket. Mm. Uh, which I don't know why, but the cop thinks is weird. Perhaps it is to put a cigarette butt in your pocket. I thought it was weird because he wasn't wearing a suit jacket when... When he fought, he was, now, he was down to his shirt. Cigarette tail. butts on the floor that were half spent. We used to call docks. Is that right? Dogs. Docks. docks. I thought it was docks. Is it dogs? Uh, either docks I don't know, Paul. I never smoked them. Not like you guys picking them up with. I, no, I've never done it. I've never. But I know people, them on a, I know people the end of a pin have. or something. Okay. <laughs> I have picked them out of pub ashtrays, but as a young kid, just for a joke. <laughs> but then I've also drunk beer out of a full. After a slop tray. Oh, no. Oh, an ashtray in a pub as well, which I'm not proud about. Disgusting. So, yes, these eyes have seen things, Richard. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> oh, come on. Well, we're learning now that Harry is like, obsessed with food. He's watching Emily, his uh, yes. niece, uh, sleep on the couch. And then he goes and pulls everything out of the fridge. <laughs> and he wakes up on the boat... Again. In the sunlight, that, that next day kind of thing. And there's food all over the boat. So he's taken it onto the boat with him. Mm-hmm. He gets back home, finds his sisters. He's got another sister as well who turned up for the funeral, who's apparently not very nice. Uh, no, she's not. She lives in New York, I think. Audrey, I think, is the first sister, isn't she? She's not so bad. But they're both cleaning the kitchen that he'd made a mess of, and they're both very angry with him. Yeah, they're not very sympathetic as sisters, I don't think. But then they find birds with their heads smashed in on the beach. <laughs> Loads of them. It's another mass die-off, isn't it? It is. The kids are really into this. <laughs> and this is where he drives his nasty sister back to the ferry. And as he's driving back from dropping her off, there's a deer in the road. Oh, God. And he has a vision, a hallucination of his father saying, Deer! And he runs it down. And he winds up on the boat with the dead deer in the back of the boat. 
it's pretty clear that what they're trying to get across is he's compelled to obey his father's voice to kill things essentially and take them as offerings on the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he comes clean with his sister, doesn't he, Audrey? He actually tells her what's going on. There's also this thing with digital clocks as well. Both him and his father had this thing where they're looking at digital clocks and the the digits go all fuzzy or all random, don't they? He goes to the doctor anyway, encouraged no doubt by Audrey. Uh, He winds up in an MRI scanner, but he panics in there, not surprisingly, because they're quite unpleasant, noisy things. And the doctor diagnoses him. Which one is the one if you're wearing magnetic material you're going to, like, elevate? An MRI scanner. Is it MRI PET? Yeah. Oh, it's MRI? No. Or is it both? Yeah. Uh, Actually, a PET. Hmm. PET is positron emission tomography. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. So, but Which with MRI, like, if you've got a pacemaker, you're screwed, aren't you? you? Yeah, you can't, yeah, they can't do it if you've got, I don't think they can do it. If what you've if you've got, got like, a metal plate in your skull? Nope, they wouldn't be able to do that either. Hellfire. Um, yeah, it's an, a very, very, very strong magnet, isn't it? Because it's using the, the magnetism of I don't know exactly which molecules, but some of the molecules in you have... Is water slightly ferromagnetic? Not sure. It must be haemoglobin. Oh, it could be haemoglobin, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, I'm guessing that completely. And And a PET scanner, positron emission technology, is somehow stimulating the emission of antimatter, positrons, that that get detected. That's amazing. Wait a minute. I don't think it's antimatter positron. A positron that would be an, an anti positron. No, a positive because a positron is an electron with a positive charge, right? Yeah, it's that's an antimatter electron. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hell they're, yeah. They're relatively common. I mean, they're like in you know in Feynman diagrams, you know, you always see a positron in your like. Your yeah, book. they are, and they don't last long because they'll probably meet an electron relatively soon, won't they? And. I think they're emitted by bananas. I think I've got a feeling <laughs> the radioactive potassium in bananas. You should have told emits, Harry this. <laughs> you think this is the kind of thing his mate would tell him? Did you know bananas emit positrons near 5G masts? But his doctor diagnoses him with a possible case of electromagnetic hypersensitivity. Now, this one I did look up, Richard. And you looked it up and discovered that it's bullshit. Well, <laughs> like uh-huh. the NHS does list it as a condition or a, a complex, maybe. I don't know how, how do we phrase, you know. A, syndrome. A syndrome, yes. Okay. I mean, it's certainly a thing people report having, but yeah. there's never been any evidence. Well, there's been quite a lot of research showing, you know, that it's mostly, you know, with lots of uh, controls where they mimicked situations with the control group, whereby it seemed as though they were undergoing tests for electromagnetic sensitivity or hypersensitivity. Then these people mysteriously, having complained about the sensitivity before, started becoming ill like they were before when they thought they were near to electromagnetic sources. So it seems to be some sort of psychosomatic illness, which is a verified and definite thing. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that there's not something that they're suffering with. But it isn't caused by electromagnetism. It is probably caused by themselves telling themselves that they're feeling really ill. That's right. I mean, after all, electromagnetism is all around us. I mean, we are all sensitive to electromagnetism through these two things in the front of our heads, right, which are sensitive to, you know, 600 to 400 to 900 nanometers or whatever. 400 to 700, I think. Something of that order. uh, Well, and... Our whole skin will respond to those slightly higher uh, frequencies by g- getting burnt and going brown. Oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Our, uh, you know, the back of our eyes, is that called the retina? It, the it's retina, actually yeah. sensitive to UV, it's just that our lens filters out the UV. Oh, right, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah that, that causes cataracts as well. when it? you have ex- excessive exposure of UV to your eyes, you get uh, cataracts because... That's you know an yeah. issue with the lens. It never actually gets to the back. If you took out, took out your lens, you would see the most amazing purples that you'd never seen before. Uh, you would be able to focus. 
there's yeah, there's uh, one of the, one of the impressionist painters. I, not sure, was it Renoir? Uh, he had his lens taken out because of cataracts. Cataracts. Uh, yeah. His late painting age, uh, when he was already a virtuoso painter. Painter. And you just look, he's trying to recreate colours that don't exist on the palette. You know, it's these amazing washes of violet and blue. Uh, just incredible colours. And that's what he was seeing, but couldn't represent, you see. So. Yeah. yeah. Intriguingly, of course, before uh, Polaroid and UV sunglasses came out, I'm not sure there was much idea that sunlight could damage your eyes. But by wearing non-UV filter sunglasses, you actually expose your eyes to more UV, didn't you? That's right. Oh, yeah. Because it dilates your pupils, the darkness that you've yeah. created. Would make if you, your if you wear white. bad sunglasses that don't filter UV, yeah, it's, it's very bad for you. Why did your pupils and you get more UV in there? So don't do that, people. Well, she blames it, or potentially they blame it on the wind turbines, don't they? This hypersensitivity. At but she does 5G masts. She does tell him of another guy who's got this condition who's now living somewhere off grid. So off grid, yeah. Not Relatively exposed. comfortably off, so like he's, it's his decision to go live in a trailer in the woods. It's a really but nice. As if you would really be able to isolate yourself from electromagnetic radiation, I mean, there's cosmic rays beaming down. Well, radio from... waves are everywhere. Radio waves are everywhere. Radio absolutely. long waves, of course, bend and what we call diffract around the earth and hills and mountains really well because they're long waves. So, so they just there's nowhere where they don't go. Yeah, quite so. And I think they penetrate the earth to some extent, don't they? To a small extent. Now, Harry goes off and finds Dale, who's oddly camping on a beach looking for dead birds. (laughs) And Dale has, for some reason, printed off a load of websites. At this point, I think Harry realises Dale is crazy. Dale is crazy. I mean, people who print websites off are, you know... Well, Dale is crazy, but he's not sacrificing deer in the middle of an ocean, is he? So... (laughs) I mean, we, we, I mean, I'm not really with Harry on this one. I, I think if I was Harry, I'd say, well, yeah, Dale's a bit wacko, but I mean, he's his rationality is misguided, but he's still fu- fu- functioning in a rational way, isn't he? Even though the rationality is wrong. Well, next, Harry wakes up after dreaming of his dad on the beach saying the Ooh. word dog. Dog. Okay. So we've gone from deer. Now he's asking for dogs for sacrifice. And he wakes up and his digital clock looks scrambled. So thinking about electro-hypersensitivity, he chucks all of his electrical equipment out of his bedroom into the, you know, <laughs> uh, into the yard. And then he finds the neighbour's dog, steals it and takes it out on the boat. And we actually now see, for the first time... Clattering, shattering, the, the shuddering. The boat starts shaking. Objects start flying in the air off the deck. And the dog is lifted up. Yeah. <laughs> life, life jackets, everything. And eventually Harry shoots up into the air. But he's plopped back down, isn't he? Yeah, after a few moments, it's everything falls back down. And Harry lands, like, face down on the boat. On oh, the boat, yes. Up, yeah. Throwing up over the side. And the dog lead, obviously, is empty now. Dog's being gobbled by the sky. He returns to Audrey, who's waiting for him on the quayside... And she accuses him of taking the Peterson's dog, which has gone missing. And so Audrey now decides she's going to go and see this electrosensitivity guy. She finds him in a motorhome. You'd think he's not ideal for someone with, you know, something which has a big diesel motor. (laughs) Massive 240 volt generator as well. (laughs) Must be given all kinds of. Magnetity, okay, and like she's not scared, and he's like, I mean, I think the he tells her to take off a watch and put a cell phone in the car. But then he says he doesn't have any other woman would think in rape scenario, you know, like he wants me (laughs) to get rid of my phone, basically. But but she knows his past, you know, he's he's wacko about EM waves. Well, he says that he doesn't have electrosensitivity, but as soon as he hears about Harry's blackouts. He starts asking if he's taking animals and, and, and food. Yeah. And he's, he's interested suddenly. And Harry is having a vision of his dad saying, Girl. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so it's an indication that his little, little niece is going to get offered up to the gods. Crazy electrosensitivity guy Kerr is telling Audrey that they want to know what makes us tick. Harry, I think realising that he's about to take Emily, 
jumps in a car and drives away. Tries to sabotage himself, yeah. But he sees a woman jogging. Oh, yes. Girl. And he nearly runs her over, but he sort of swerves and hits a tree. Intentionally, I Um, think. I think he tries to sabotage himself, doesn't he? That's right. Audrey's coming back, but she's got to wait for the ferry to the island, which is a constant travel problem for them, isn't it? Meanwhile, Harry returns home, having crashed, grabs at Emily, and Audrey gets back. After this has happened, she finds Paul has been knocked out. Paul had been babysitting. Harry is taking the boat with Emily aboard. Audrey like runs after and jumps on the board as he's as he's driving away in the boat. Uh, Audrey goes below where Emily is kind of uh, hiding below deck, and meanwhile Harry anchors and the radio is on the fritz and they all hear that strange noise, and suddenly again the same thing happens. Everything starts rising up off the deck. Harry gets sucked up off the deck. And inside, Emily and Now, Audrey, what is it that fundamental Christians call this? The rapture? The it? rapture? When you're being... Well, we all sort of lose weight, weight and sort of start floating up, don't we? Those of us that are chosen. I think so, you leave your clothes behind, Paul. In the do rapture. you? I don't, I don't know, know about that. It's all made up, isn't it? But, but apparently we all start levitating up to the heaven, don't we? Yeah, we... Uh, what's the word? Transcend, we... Thing, yeah, ascend as a room put aside for you. I, I went to a funeral last week. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So it was a Catholic funeral. I've never been to a Catholic service before, and we was were it? all assured that uh, despite his shortcomings in life, uh, Saint Peter would have a room put aside for this man, uh, whatever that means. So about the rooms up there. Oh right. So be assured, but- Richard. There's a room put aside for you. By Saint it's Peter. a bit mean-spirited at a man's funeral to Just discuss the shortcomings. shortcomings. <laughs> yeah. Go right in there with the shortcomings <laughs> yeah. straight away. I, I have to say, you know, it, it was a bit scarier than the Adams family. You know, it, 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 and they take their religion pretty sort of head-on, Catholic people. So, I suppose so, yeah. it's reassuring, isn't it, to know that if someone with shortcomings, whatever they were, can get to heaven, that everyone else can probably do it. There's all kinds of stuff going on. They were burning incense and frankincense and myrrh and swinging pots of it, smoking pots. Uh, yeah, really strange. Really got on my clothes. Like, like I woke up in the morning uh, and the next morning and, like, the scent of that stuff was all over in my bedroom because I, like, throw, throw, throw the clothes on, uh, on, like, uh, on a chair to the side. The Holy Spirit has come upon you, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's the sticky dribble of stuff on my pillow. Okay, <laughs> so there we go. So let's try uh, not yeah. get banned from this podcast. Emily and Audrey are uh, <laughs> being levitated up towards the ceiling of the—I don't know what you call the below deck of a little boat like this. But uh, for a while, Audrey is hanging on. Emily is uh, further back inside the boat, but uh-huh. suddenly Audrey loses a grip when the lamp cable she was holding on to breaks. Yeah, everything was upside down, wasn't it? And they're all on the ceiling. Terrifying. It's like a Lionel Richie video. It's amazing. Morning comes and the cops find the boat, mostly empty, but Emily is still there below decks. Um, and then after afterwards, we see that Audrey has washed up on the beach, alive. And she seems to have survived, having been dropped into the water. But we don't see any hide nor hair of Harry, and that is the end of the film. A film in which we never ever really see the the, the baddies, the alien, or whatever it is that's taking them, the sea monster. Who who knows? We don't. We're left to speculate, aren't we? There are two parts of a boat below deck, Richard. I think there's the galley, which is like the kitchen area, and there's the cabin, which is like the sleeping area. But I'm it's not the sure. cabin. Oh, it's the cabin. cabin. Because it's too small to have a galley, isn't it? That little boat. Yeah. So, the end of movie, really. So, this reminded me a bit of Nope, where, you know, things get drawn up, sucked up into the alien. What about the dead deer? This has happened in uh, the ones by the people who did Midsummer, okay, with the family where they make little little uh, effigies. Don't know if you remember hereditary, that, hereditary, that, yeah. yeah, and they yeah. get decapitated as they're as they're looking out past at a deer, past a lamp post or something. I think they're, he's swerving, yeah, to avoid a deer, and he goes past the. And then recently, post, we had yeah. a dead cow going to a pawn shoot. <laughs> yeah, so 
spooky portents of things to come. Yeah. So this so is what a slow did you burner. think of the idea of this film that doesn't ne- that never really shows what's going on and doesn't really it's... do horror as such. It does low murmuring kind of spookiness, doesn't it? It's um, creepy though, right? I kind of like this perspective. It's between spooky and X Files kind of thing because X Files is never spooky, is it? You know, uh, it's kind of. I don't know really what you would call this supernatural kind of amateur sleuth spooky movie. Uh, I, I different, very different. Different in a good way, though. Let's find out maybe by giving it some scores. Yeah, okay. I don't know. I mean, I did like it definitely. Uh, the atmospherics are wonderful. You know, the kind of uh, off season of kind of Cape Cod style uh, American vacation towns essentially for the rich of Wall Street these days uh, but you know the remaining communities there, you know the atmosphere of that kind of slightly downhill in terms of career prospects but obviously financially well off because of the tourist trade the local community I thought was expressed and portrayed quite well uh, but in terms of what you're asking me, you know, was it scary? It wasn't ever really scary. It wasn't for me. It was more about uh, thinking about the idea of something supernatural or you know something beyond us and how how people react to that. So yeah, I mean, it worked as a movie, but I'm not sure you could call it horror. I'm not sure it's billed as horror. I don't know what it's billed as. I agree, it wasn't very scary, but it was satisfying, wasn't it? I like the mm. way, at the beginning, you get all of these strange things happening, and the guy waking up on the boat, and the lead with the pet collar on the end of it, and all of the dead fish and stuff. Sure, you want to know what's going to, you want to know what, what it's all about, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and by the end, you see how all of those things came into being, Although you don't, we're never exposed to like a Hollywood monster. It, I mean, it, it has a level of craftsmanship that you, you know, you might describe something like Hitchcock in that, you know, it uses those filmmaking skills to set up intrigue. And then it doesn't need to resolve it with CGI because, yeah. because it's made you mull things over. Your brain has kind of set things in motion itself, you know. So it kind of yeah. works just as a story. It just has stories. It, it, it employs storytelling skills, doesn't it? That's what I'm trying to say somewhat cumbersomely here. So if I were to ask you, say, about the acting, Paul, who was the standout performance in here? Well, I, I thought the dad did a really good job of being a salty old sea devil. But he wasn't there for long, was he? No, and we never see him when he's not ill, do we? He's always no. under the thrall of this creature, really. I kind of thought uh, Harry's sister, what does the what does the nautical job? Uh, she done, yeah. I thought, like, I thought she portrayed her character most credibly. You know, uh, yeah, she was standout. I mean, the guy does Harry called Chris Sheffield. Good, also. You know, we see him progress, don't we, from kind of relatively normal to completely sort of crazy under control of this creature, and that's quite clever. But Audrey is played by an actress called Michaela McManus. Mm-hmm. Does that ring any bell with you, Paul? No, what's she been in? Well, no, it's really... It should ring a bell if you happen to know who wrote and directed this film. Uh, Michaela McManus? No. Oh. Kevin McManus and Matthew McManus. Yeah, have they done anything else, or is this their first outing? Or the so first significant they're outing? They're brothers, and she's their, she's their sister. Whoa. So siblings in the movie, siblings in the writing and creation of this movie. Yeah, yeah. But obviously the, the bro- Harry is not played by a sibling. No. no, so that's interesting. Yeah, I don't think they've done m- many films of note. I think they've done some TV stuff. Uh, I think they were involved in Cobra Kai. Whoa. But, yeah, n- nothing else. Keep my wife's really... series name out of your mouth. Sorry. <laughs> uh, executive producer, Will Smith. Uh, but, yeah, so, um, 
I mean, this went straight to Netflix, and Netflix obviously financed it quite well. So I'm guess I'm guessing that they're, they're on for bigger and better things because this has been, a, a, in terms of Netflix box office, a Netflix box office hit, hasn't it? Give me give me a score for, for acting, Paul. Give oh, me the a acting. Score. Yeah, the acting was great. I'm going to give it seven point five. Yeah, I'll give it. Um, I'll give it an eight for the acting. Whoa. Praise and praise, indeed. Okay, plot. I think we've already touched upon this already. Uh, very well plotted. Uh, had me on tenter hooks, though they're not fearful tenter hooks. More like um, it really pricked my uh, sense of inquisitiveness. I just had to find out. Had to find out what what was causing all this. Uh, and so, yeah, the plot really worked. Pacing, I do have an issue with. It is supposed to be a laid back, laconic kind of beach uh, beach resort, but at the same time. I would have liked it to move a little bit faster through some of, you know, some of the family moments kind of thing. Uh, although, of course, they were trying to give us that kind of small town vibe, weren't they? So I accept that. So the plot, I'm going to give uh, a resoundingly happy eight for. Wow. I mean, it is satisfying, I have to admit. I'm a bit worried about them. <clears throat> I mean, they do a lot of service toward conspiracy theories and electro-hypersensitivity, and I'm not sure whether they're right portraying it as, you know, nonsense or trying to portray it as plausible. No, they reject it, and then there's this large creature in the sky, which I don't remember. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. So, yeah, so much more reasonable. I'll give it a seven for plot, man. <laughs> right, I think we have to come to uh, what? Mood? Oh, yeah, well, the mood's great. We're going to score it nine and say no more about that. Okay, okay. I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a seven. And the only reason is, I I thought the the visions that Harry's experiencing with his father are a bit. It's a bit Shakespearean, isn't it? Seeing it is, seeing yeah. your, your dad's ghost or whatever. <laughs> it is rather. Yeah, although it is quite common after somebody has died. So, uh, so yeah, on to, I don't know, our last category has to be X-Files crackpot wackiness. Whether you approve of that or not. Did they introduce ideas like electromagnetic sensitivity uh, in a way that was... Sympathetically. Sympathetic? I'll, I'll give it a five because it's, it's, it's confusing either way. I, I think, you know, they introduced it in a way that wasn't meant to bait audiences, you know. Uh, but what if they are baiting people that believe in that stuff? I don't know. I don't care. But it was. I don't think they kind of present it in a way like, "Oh, this stuff is true," because they go to a trailer park and nothing really happens from that guy's advice or insight, apart from the fact he rec- tells them that there's a monster in the sky. Uh, for me, it's the the idea that there is a monster in the sky, and the only way they come to terms with that is when somebody tells them there is. So I just. Like, I like the way they give little tidbits of information that we're supposed to build up to. But what's lacking here is, you know, a moment of clarity and realisation. I think what it needs is for one of them to definitely know there's a monster in the sky and persuade other people. Can I ask you that, a question now, Paul? That never is really it happens. in the sky or is it in the sea, the monster? I don't know. That's a very good point. Be- because he first gets infected when he... Go scuba diving in the You're right, yeah. In yeah. The I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, but all of the aliens, action we see is on the surface when it floats everything up. Yeah. And all of those birds have got their heads bashed in for some reason. Yeah. So it's not clear. It's both. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably it's not a physical entity but... as we understand it, is it? It's, mm. it's, it's an energy that isn't necessarily material in that sense. So let's call it supernatural. It's obviously a natural entity, but. Natural entity beyond our cognition. So, yeah, mm, I don't really... I mean, this for me is the weak point of the movie. Is What does it build to? Well, it builds to a a storyteller's conceit. You know, it builds to an invisible maniac, doesn't it, essentially? Which is a clever little little hand, hand slide. But at the same time, you want your payback at the end of the movie. Do you know what I mean? So, and it doesn't doesn't necessarily deliver that, does it? We have missed one of the cleverest bits of it all, mm. because during the movie, Audrey explains to her daughter Emily about the work she does with fish, and the way she takes fish out of the sea. And Emily's worried that you know some of the fish wind up dead, and Audrey's saying yes, but we do it so we can oh, learn about the fish. That was that was the, oh, that was nice, wasn't it? 
And then, so at the very end, when Audrey is washed up on the beach and she's climbing out, having gone through this ordeal, you hear her, that same voiceover being repeated of Mm. her explaining that to Emily about how they put some of the fish back, some of the brave fish we take out so that we can study them and then we put some of them back. Yes, some of them die, but some of them don't die and we can help them. And And, uh, so it's, it's drawing this... Yes. An analogy between the two, isn't it? Intellectual hubris is challenged and finally humbled kind of thing. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, is it... I mean, ultimately, with this kind of, uh, like, I guess you'd call it sci-fi horror, uh, you have to look for... I mean, in every sci-fi, there's some sort of present-day metaphor, isn't there? You know, is it some big thing about the nature of satellite states, dominant economic powers kind of thing, and the kind of uh, colonial well-meaning studies of a native population that actually perhaps consciously or unconsciously hide ulterior motives and that kind of thing? Uh, or is it more about personal relationships or that kind of thing? I don't know. I guess you could draw kinds of metaphor and analogy kind of uh, conclusions to this. Uh, d- just for me, I-, I wanted some meat with my veg at the end of it. You know, we did need to see something and we didn't see anything apart from apart from sort of like a very localised rapture. So for me, the X-Files sort of uh, cranky wackiness score has to be a six. For an overall score of, well, I'm going to give it a seven. I think it is worth seeing. I think it's interesting and quite laid back. I enjoyed this definite eight. Uh, Wouldn't say it's my cup of tea. That's therefore a very strong recommendation. I wouldn't normally go for this kind of movie. The fact I enjoyed it so much probably implies that it's actually better than I thought. Oh boy. So what is your cup of tea, Paul, with a view to the I'm list very of much films? in the mood for sci-fi, you know. I, sci-fi? Yeah, 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 at the moment. Okay. So what can you do me for, sir? Yeah, I've added a, a number of sci-fi movies to our list that I think are all easily easily achievable on streaming services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let me give you mm, choice. Give me a choice. Let me give you a choice of three. We're going to go with possibly Vivarium from 2019. Uh-huh. A film called Beyond the Infinite, Two Minutes. I don't oh, understand well, the name. Be a quick watch. And a film called Firestarter, oh. which is very recent, and I imagine has very little to do with the the uh, song we know. With a name like Vivarium, you're going to think classical sci-fi, aren't you? Uh, Beyond the Infinite, Two Minutes. I, I'm a fan of short movies, but I won't be on Two Minutes. Firestarter. Don't know. I don't really want to watch Flames. Sorry. Uh, I think that might be a literal title. So I'm going to go for Vivarium 2019. Okay. Vivarium. 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 Isn't that what you keep lizards in? It's it's the lizard people, maybe, Paul. (laughs) What do you call those things? I don't know. Uh, Interesting question. I used to know the name for that. Terrarium is what you call them. No, that's not for lizards. That's for plants Turtles. and stuff, a terrarium. It's where you make a little thing out of a bell jar or something with plants and stuff in. Yeah, isn't it? keep little terrapins that are going to be eaten by the lizards. <laughs> so, Vivarium is next week's film. Thank you for listening, and until the next time, Ciao for goodbye. Now. See you on the next one. Ooh.